Hello and welcome to episode 291 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now, on today's episode, you probably know who the guest is because it's a two-part special to celebrate the film Kindling. It's one of my films of the year and is available now to stream everywhere. And on my last episode, I was joined by Tara Fitzgerald, one of the actresses in the film. But today, I'm joined by the director, Connor O'Hara. It's a great chat and a director that I think is going to go on to massive things. He's an amazing director, amazing writer and amazing producer and you need to check out his work. I love his interview today. He's so humble, he's so grounded but seriously, watch this space. He's one to watch. What I normally do at this part of the podcast is touch base and talk about my last episode. But as this is a two-part special, you know it was Tara Fitzgerald. And I really hope that you've all checked it out because this is meant to be a two-part special. So what I want to do now is to get straight to the interview. But just before I do, I'll give a quick shout out to the podcast sponsor, Richer Sounds. If you're in the market for a TV, a Sonos system, home surround sound system or headphones, go on richersounds.com because they are the best out there and they'll really honestly beat any price out there. The reason I have these guys sponsor me is because I believe in all their stuff and without them I couldn't keep this podcast going so thank you so much. Right, Kindling Movie is what I want to talk about and who's better than the director himself. Here's me and Connor O'Hara talking all things film. So Connor, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, great to be on. Connor, what I like to do with all my guests is take it right back to the very start. So um, talk to me about when you were growing up. What were those first films that you remember watching that made you fall in love with cinema? For, for anyone who watches Kindling, you can probably tell it's Lord of the Rings, man. It's Lord yeah. of the Rings. You know, um, I sort of had quite a quite a powerful relationship with the film where when I was nine, I had, um, I had an illness which stopped me walking for about two or three months. And essentially, I just, you know, couldn't move off the sofa and I just binged it was only the uh, fellowship and two towers that were out at the time. And it was like daily occurrences, you know, every single day. And, you know, and then I watched the behind the scenes and it was actually from watching the behind the scenes and seeing the camaraderie of like being on a set that I didn't think I want to be a director as such. I just thought I want to be a part of that. And, um, you know, as soon as I got sort of better again, the first thing was to buy, my parents actually bought me a video camera almost as like a tool to get me to go out and do stuff. And that, that was it. You know, once I started, and then I started collecting Warhammer, filming the Warhammer figurines, getting my mates involved, and then got in a band doing music videos. So I really just, I just loved it, man, from from young age. Yeah. That's amazing. And to hear that your family was supportive is amazing because I say it on nearly all my episodes, but it's really important, isn't it, to have a family that support a decision when you want to be either a musician or a filmmaker because it's kind of a fear, I think, for some parents where they'll be like, can you get a real job, a proper job, and then maybe have this as a kind of a hobby? Well, here's the thing, man. My my dad struggled with it a lot. My dad got that as a, I think as a kid to as a hobby, uh, but my dad's you know working class guy who you know had to work and work really hard to pull himself up from a situation, um, and just wanted stability for me. So when I think me saying I was wanting to be in the film industry, I know he really struggled with that because he didn't see that as stable. So, but I would also say that me and my dad have a really close relationship. And I think him having that fear is definitely one of my biggest spurs to sort of, you know, low key and the company we've created and kindling has all been off our own backs and our own energy trying to make it happen. And I think one of the things that's always been there is that thing of like, can't let him down, you know, got to make sure that I can prove there is, there is a sustainable future for me here. 
So what was your kind of vision after, obviously, you were watching Lord of the Rings, filming with little figures and making, I suppose, like mini little movies yourself with your friends and stuff. At what point did it feel like it could then turn into something serious where you could actually hopefully start a career in the industry? Um, I couldn't tell you exactly like a moment, but we started low key as just a vice to be creative. We were like 18, me and Jamie, who I still run the company with and Alex Lincoln, who's an actor from like, he's now on Emmerdale and Infamous Side. And we just, we, we didn't think it was possible. You know, we just started it for fun. Um, we didn't grow up around anyone who was in the film industry, didn't have the money to start anything off properly. Um, but what happened is the more we created stuff and just put stuff out there, the more a little newspaper would come to us and be like, can we do an interview with you? And eventually the thing that really revolutionized everything was um, I got a call one day from this, from a mum of a 12 year old boy. And she said, oh, can you help my 12 year old son make a film? And I was like, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to like, I wish, I wish someone had helped me when I was 12. And anyway, long story short, turned out his dad was the set decorator on star Wars and he offered me a job. So I saw, I saw that. Was it like, on, um, yeah. Was it, I saw it the other, was it the last Jedi you got to work on? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, so literally, and that, I did that in the summer I completed uni and he, he said, when do you finish uni? I said, two weeks and he said right start in two weeks then and I, I went on did 13 months on it so it's one of those like again crazy experiences of um and then suddenly I was on this like massive film that I again has dreamed of, dreamed of since I was a kid and it was yeah really wonderful sometimes you think that like everything's meant to be like the fact that it turned out that hit, you know that you were in the right place at the right time but then to get to work on a production as big as that that doesn't normally happen to most people does it no, especially not people like, you know, I think, man, it, I'm massive fatalist, good and bad. You know, like the film's about a lot of the, the harder stuff that's happened in my life and how you choose to see it, right? Like Kindling's about the fact that I've lost, sadly, three of my three people close to me in my 20s. And I've, I think my friendship group has been very powerful in choosing to see it as a, a thing that we can take as a positive and learn from. And um, I guess it kind of take, goes back to everything, like good or bad, everything sort of happens for a reason, doesn't it? When I was interviewing Tara the other day, I said to her that um, after I got to see the advanced screening of Kindling, I said that it was probably the most uplifting movie I've ever seen about death. Um, genuinely, I absolutely loved it. And one thing that stood out for me is the cinematography. I think genuinely it should win awards. It looks stunning. And I think you could pause the film at any point and print out the screen and it would make a poster. It looked sort of Roger Deakins style of just beauty. And I, I think... I hope it gets the recognition it deserves. Well, it, the cinematographer David needs a massive shout for that because not only did he absolutely smash it, but he boarded the film about five weeks before we shot because the previous cinematographer dropped out. Oh my um, god! So give David, him an Oscar not, now, yeah, <laughs> right? So yeah, D David Wright, and it was his first feature as well. And I've worked with him in music videos and commercials. Like he's a he's really prolific and got a great name there, but yeah, hasn't done a feature yet. Oh, hadn't done a feature yet and yeah he came on and this guy's got like the Midas touch you know he he could hold a an iPhone up to you know a piece of coal and it would look great unbelievable um, so, so I, I got lucky there that's fully his talent not not mine so doing this obviously it's it's a hell of a lot to uh take on and um I'm sure it's quite daunting but at the same time because it was kind of your big feature and you want to kind of make it the best you can was there anything that you kind of learn on set or during it that was just a real eye-opener that next time you'll change? And that doesn't mean it has to be a bad thing that you've corrected. It might be something that you'd continue to do, but was there something that really blew your mind that you 
probably hadn't anticipated. Huge man. Um, I think one thing I enjoyed from the process that I is I've always wanted to try and make a film with like a lot of love and passion behind the scene and actually not to bad talk anything, but I've struggled on the big features because I felt there was a lot of passionless work, frankly. So I've, I felt really rewarded by the fact that I felt like that's what we achieved on Kindlings, a lot of love behind the scenes. So I really enjoyed that challenge. I think, you know, our company works a lot of music videos. So we were kind of used to the challenges of time and the challenges of um, resources being tight. Um, I think the biggest challenge is managing emotions over 25 days. You know, the, the actors, they, they brought so much to it, but we all lived together behind the scenes. We all lived in the same uni accommodation. And it's like, you need space. You know, this industry can be all consuming. And for us to finish work, go back into the same halls together and live together, felt so nice on paper. But actually, we're humans and we need time on our own. We need to yeah. stop. And I think actually to... This industry, I think, is all about boundaries. You need to set your own boundaries. And I think if I could do it again... I would help the actors set their boundaries better by allowing them a space in the evening so we can really come together in the shoot days to be the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. So I hope that's an all right answer. No, no, it's a great answer. And I think all the cast for me, everyone completely shone. I was amazed by all the performances. There was no weak leak. Sometimes you watch a film and you think, oh, they're good, they've got potential. But in this, everyone looked like they gave it absolutely everything. Their whole heart and soul was in their performances. I, I think that, you know, we're, we're sort of, so lucky i was so lucky so to work with producers you know particularly jamie gamash who's like my right hand and the key the key lead producer on this because they allowed me to cast who i wanted not who was financial like financially what's the word financial level um which so many indie films that don't get the back of the bfi bbc need um so it meant that we could we saw like a thousand young actors we really managed to like find the best friendship group rather than you know the best actors for these parts rather than having to make sure people fit into holes. And that was such a great experience to actually organically find these friends. And even in our research, you know, our, our rehearsal period, we went away for three nights and we stayed together and we gave the boys like a video camera and sent them off to make their own film while we were away. And it just felt like we actually formed that unit. And yeah. then it meant that the improvised scenes on screen, they're just joking around. That's again not not me at all. That's me giving them a script and being like, "That's a guideline," and they just bounced off each other and had this real kinetic energy. And it was, yeah, lovely to see, man. Really, and that's down to the producers giving me the freedom. So I suppose it's like a little mini family, wasn't it? I suppose. And I know you said you had boundaries and needed to make sure that when you finished at the end of the day, you weren't all kind of living and breathing too much of the same space all the time. But then I suppose you created something quite special that you have got that unit where they're not going off to their trailers or going and traveling to different hotels. It must be a kind of a, it had a lot of pluses as well as you'd learn from it moving forward. Man, yeah. And it goes back to me watching Lord of the Rings when I was nine and you see like a, like a local carpenter holding a boom pole because he just needed to help out that day. And that was what it was like. You know, we didn't have carpenters holding boom poles, but we had um, everyone on that shoot was from was taking pay cuts, was working hard, was really like bringing their A-game to this indie film. And it felt so special, man, to be around people who wanted to create that family and all were, you know, we because of COVID, we had to live away for five weeks. No one could see their family for this small film, taking pay cuts. Like, but I really felt because of that, everyone really brought this like, cool, if we're doing this, we're doing it. And, you know, for me to see on our lunch breaks, the lead actor playing football with the runner, 
and then the DP starts slide tackling them. And it's like, <laughs> you, you, you've got this like really nice, like kinetic thing of like, this is what it should be about, man. Like we're having an hour lunch break, just hanging out as mates. Like you kind of forget something. We're all just like nine year old kids who grew up to want to make films. Right. But do not break um, his leg. Otherwise we're going to be yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, fully. Unless it was plods, you know, that would yeah. have worked. <laughs> so how does it feel now? It's actually all done and ready to go out there. Does it feel like it's real? Does it feel like, oh my God, all that work, waiting for it to be greenlit, trying to get funding, trying to get this done. Does it actually feel like, wow, now I can take a step back or are you just hungry, ready to get on, you know, on your next project? No, I, I'm okay with it, man. Like, I think it's been such a consuming thing of my, you know, I'm very lucky to have made it in my 20s, but it's been my 20s of, of like making this film and I'm, I'm ready for it to be, even like the way the film ends with that final quote, it's not my film anymore. It's like everyone else's and I quite want it to be everyone else's now. So um, I'm definitely ready for the next stage. And, you know, who knows if anyone will let me make a film again, but I'm I'm ready to try and try and get the next one off the ground at least. And you mentioned your own company. I can see it in the background, a lovely logo of Loki. Um, how does it kind of work with you? Do, do, do you run everything within in-house and try and do it to reduce costs so it's, you know, under your own um, wing or are you trying to get still a lot of investors or how, do, how does it work when you've got your own company as well invested in it? Yeah, man, we're, we're totally independent. So we just, again, started as 18-year-olds and eventually the reason I left the art department was to do Loki full-time and we've sort of just set ourselves up quite like in a nice way of like a bulletproof set of like ethics and values and we run the company by that do a lot of music videos so we've done like dave stormzy a lot of commercials and that kind of in such a nice way allows us to like create this ecosystem of like the next wave of talent like we're working with the coolest new directors the most exciting dps like david and it's almost like the whole it's like the whole thing like propagates the next thing and it's it's kind of exciting to see the flow between the departments um and i guess my place within it is i'm so lucky to work with all those direct i never direct anything commercially but i'm so lucky as a as then a person who runs a company to work with all those directors, learn from them, you know, and then bring that to my own projects. So just sort of see it as all part of the system, you know, the system. I, I was going to say every day must feel like a unofficial film school because you're learning <laughs> from so many creative people around you all day, every day. It must feel, feel I suppose, like it's never work. It, it's never work. And I think maybe that, you know, never film school. Jay and I both, I said, never went to film school, just started making things. And I guess it's that, nice thing where the naivety sometimes pays off where you like believe as 21 year old you can make a feature film and then eventually eight years later you do which is a real nice thing but you know sometimes it's also always like you're always hitting a wall and working out how you can get around it and I guess that's filmmaking 101 sort of it's incredible but when you think how and I say this before respect how young you are and you've already got a feature under your belt you've got music videos you've got a company I suppose, you know, you look at some directors who even start in their 40s, 50s, even people that are acting like Ben Affleck started late in his career and then, you know, started making some absolute masterpieces. But you still feel like you've got your whole career ahead of you, even though you're so invested already in 10 years into your like kind of journey. I I love it, man. I love it so much. You know, like, I, and 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 I guess, you know, in, in what you're saying, like, I'm I guess I'm, I'm maybe young, but I'm I'm 10 years in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and ben, ben Affleck, when he did that, was maybe 10 years in as well. It doesn't sort of matter what time you start, does it? It's just like Never. the time the time you put in. And I guess I'm, I am lucky, as you said, I had supportive parents, um, like not financially supportive, creatively supportive. And they did they did allow me, um, you know, the ability to do to, to do this from like a time perspective. Um, but God, like, 
just love it, man. And I, and I work with my best mate as well. It's really, you know, exciting. And we're just, you know, we always just say to each other, like, we're just two idiots. You're somehow, like, able to, like, make Pinching yourself and... every day, thinking, how, how did this actually all come together? We wanted this so badly, but it's actually real. Man, and, 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 and remembering that, you know, like, with stuff with kindling, like, there's always new things that, oh, someone else has got that, someone else has got better. And I think we, we started chasing that for a while and kind of had to, like, slap ourselves a bit and just be like, you just got to like appreciate the everything, man. Like even just doing this podcast here, it's like, this is so cool, man. Like I didn't think I'd get to do this stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's really, it's all about appreciating the journey. Yeah. It must be hard as well because you're so invested in it, not to be able to take a step back. So when you're watching it, you're always critical. You're thinking how this edit should have gone, or maybe I should have done this different. Yeah. But as an outsider, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, I'm very honest. It's an amazing movie and it's shot so beautifully and it, and I mean this with full respect, it probably shouldn't be as good as it should, considering it's so, the budget, um, everything behind it, it just works. And people will discover this film, I think, like, something like Boyhood, you know, one of these films that is so well made, that's been so well grafted, that you can see how much heart has gone into it. And sometimes when you watch a film, you can see someone kind of just, I suppose, putting in a performance that's, you can see they're just doing it for the paycheck or like this will do and you can see they're not quite given everything but on this film it was like it felt to me like everyone could be given their final performance because it's that good you know it it shouldn't be as good as it should you know it's incredible well dude i i actually so appreciate you hearing that man hearing that man and you saying it and and i guess if i was to give credit to like trying to give credit to anyone it's like i think that comes from the crew i think the crew like they, they lift so much on their shoulders and they allow the actors the freedom. And we had a set where you'd get the, you know, you get the grip coming in to give creative ideas about how a shot can be achieved to, to bring in more emotion. Like that doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think from that, it was almost this like real kinetic energy where then you create, you get the sound engineer coming and being like, what about if we did this, this could elevate it. And you kind of had this feeling where everyone was just working in like synchronicity and that allowed the actors more freedom and, just sort of created a safe space. So I guess I do feel proud of what we've done the budget and the way it's achieved. I feel, I feel, I guess, exponentially proud of how it was done. I think the fact that there isn't limits there as well. And you're letting people be creative. I think maybe on, I've seen on some movie sets where people know their boundaries and are too afraid to kind of, I can't suggest anything to the director. I'm only, you know, uh, an audio editor or something, but the fact you're letting everyone contribute will make it feel more like everyone's involved. And it's a, it's a collective unit, you know? And again, I'm going to take it back to Lord Rings for a final time. But it was that that's what I saw on those sets is that, like, I just remember watching it and thinking, the costume designer is the best person at that job. So, how yeah. dare a director not listen to them? You know, like, I, and if I was, you know, I think the film industry's got this weird thing of people seeing it like a hierarchy. And I think you just got to change it to see it like a sink plug hole. And I think if you do that and just see the director is like the plug hole of a sink, and everything's just got to go through that cleanly you can kind of, everything can kind of be piled on. Like you can have all these voices, but I've, I'm just the one that has to make sure that it comes out in synchronicity, I guess. And that, um, yeah. normally I end this podcast by asking for advice for future filmmakers. If anyone's listening today and kind of tuning in and wants to go down the way that you've gone or wants to get into film school or make films at home. And maybe that's the best advice you give, you know, don't have this hierarchy, don't have this people where you think you should be looked down upon, have everybody being able to contribute and be creative has worked wonders for you man and and just do it is the you know it's the biggest advice i know that's patented by nike or anything but like man 
that's what that's what we did. You just create stuff, you know, nothing's stopping you. And you put stuff out there in the world, you hope people like it, keep keep grafting, you know, you care enough, people will come, I think. Plus I most people have got an iPhone now that has a 4K camera on it. Oh my god. Editing software you can download free most of the time. And it's frightening how easy you could do something so simple. Like you said, just filming some Warhammer Dungeons and Dragons figures and stuff. You could create something, even if it's just a bit of stop animation or something that looks brilliant, that shouldn't totally. look that good totally man and just like listen to yourself as well like everyone's got a story haven't they and think about what's key to you like go a bit deeper than you normally would and just put that out there i think people from what my experience is with kindling so far is i think people appreciate when you just put yourself out there a bit rawly on screen and yeah man, it's just that just do it mentality totally my final question for you today and i do this on every episode and we've done nearly 270 episodes now but i ask every guest who's been on to choose the outro piece of music that's played so I put you on the spot, but basically you can have any song in the whole world, but I like to know a reason why you chose it. And I know it's kind of putting you under pressure, but everyone's done it. has been on every actor, every artist, every cinematographer. And is there a song that when I ask the question that means a lot to you, that once this is all edited, it plays out at the end of the podcast. And it's something that, you know, personally is a great song for a reason. Let's stay with Lord of the Rings and go into the West by Annie Lennox. Incredible. Um, I've always thought, you know, if I could be, uh, if, I could, if I could plan my own funeral, I'd be not walk down the aisle. That's not what they call it. No, I'd be, be pulled down, <laughs> that, carried down that'd slowly. My, that'd be my song. And I, and I think maybe it's just a powerful song, my Into the West. Like, I think it sort of fits with the theme of Kindling, stays with Lord of the Rings. I just think it's, that's that that song's got beauty beyond words. So, um, yeah, Into the West would be my, my pick. I love that this has become Lord of the Rings cast. It really, man, I think maybe all I'm doing this film for is so Peter Jackson once sends me a text or something. <laughs> He's an absolute genius, that man, isn't right. he? Yeah, man. absolute and it, genius, dude. It's as much about his ethics and his like um, ability to create a safe space that I've seen that that inspires me more than anything. But yeah, into the West, I'd say amazing. Him and Del Toro, when I see the way they are on behind, because not everyone releases much behind the fo- um, scenes footage. You know, you you never really get to see much about Christopher Nolan or Spielberg. They're very kind of close set. But Del Toro, uh, for me, is always out there showing what he does on set. And I think Peter Jackson, it always, you look at the extras, you get hours and hours of it. And it's it's probably the best lesson you can ever learn of watching him work. Man, and, and I think also so many people grow up in this film industry with this almost like, and I'm not disrespecting anyone, but Kubrickian like mentality, yeah. like work, work till you drop, keep going. You're not good enough unless you put every cent of your being into this thing. And it's like, then you've got people like Peter Jackson who are, like look a film's not finished it's just abandoned you know you've got to create this with your partner and your loved ones and nothing's more important than getting your kids and family on set and it's like we've kind of got to remember that this is an industry and in order for it to be healthy we've got to have like lives and yeah del toro del toro peter jackson they just got this really safe space where actually it's like they're just kids who got lucky to make films yeah, and you're not, you're never reading it. like stories from Elijah Wood saying stuff like, you know, I, I almost killed myself on set, where you hear all these horror stories about working on The Shining and stuff, where it's like, I went insane and didn't sleep and felt totally, sick yeah. and was abused on set. And I'm like, I'd rather hear no stories if they're, you know, comfortable and having a good time. And right. they, all, they all kind of, you get photos now and then of the crew, don't you, at Comic Cons and stuff from Lord of the Rings, and they're all still best mates and like a family. This should be fun, man. As I said, we're, we're nine-year-old kids who wanted to make films and have just grown up. Like, it needs to stay like that. And, and and Kindling's not a totally light film. Like, it's a hard film. And the only way of doing that is, in my opinion, by having the safe space. 
you know, not pushing people to breaking point. Exactly. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. Uh, I can see our time's up, but I wanted to thank you for coming on and I wish you all the luck with the release. And I'm, I'm hoping that more people will listen to this and then go and check out the film because at the moment, as we're sitting here, it's one of my films of the year. I think more people need to tune into independent films. That's why films like Submarine did so well. And even Brian and Charles recently, it's great to see these independent films that shouldn't be doing well getting the notice they deserve. And I hope that we're talking about kindling at the end of the year in a lot of top fives that I get to see online. Oh, well, man, there's still a lot of the year to go, so I really hope it stays in there. But um, yeah, thank you so much, man, for having me on. And as I said, I just, I just hope the film reaches the people that need it, you know? Well, that's my job to try and help do that for you as well. So uh, good luck with everything. I hope the rest of the press goes well. And I'm sure very soon down the line, our uh, paths will cross again. Man, can't wait. Can't wait to chat again soon. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the director, Connor O'Hara. As I said at the start of today's interview, Kindling is one of my films of the year. It's absolutely beautiful, but I never go into great detail or ever give any spoilers. So go and check it out and then let me know what you think. I think Connor is a great guy. I loved interviewing him. He's got his own company. He's got such a great vision ahead of him. And I really, really am excited to see where his career goes. Kindling is available now. And if you haven't watched it, please, I urge you all to go and do it. I just want to say now a massive thank you to Connor for coming on the podcast. It's been so much fun to speak to both you and Tara about this film release. And I really appreciate your time. Also, you guys, if you're listening at home and want to support the podcast, you can share it, as always, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But what I really need is more people to sign up on Patreon. That's how I keep this podcast going on stuff like Amazon Music, Spotify, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts. It all costs a lot of money. And also me doing all these summer festivals costs a lot of money. But I want to basically get some money to come in from Patreon that then allows me to go out there and continue these episodes and these specials all for you guys at home so if you can sign up there's a link on markandme.com and in return you don't just get the episodes as normal you get badges stickers a welcome pack a monthly newsletter i'm also going to start doing some playlists to say thanks to people i think that's a really nice idea but not only that you'll get an exclusive episode each and every month called the lost tapes and the next one's going to be out in only a week's time so it's the best time to sign up Right, I'm going to go now. Hopefully you've listened to these two-part specials. I'll be back, as always, with a brand new episode before you know it. So until then, look after yourself, go and watch Kindling, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon.
Just sleeping. What can? 